another aspect of this confrontation or conflict uh, between the United States and China, and that's in the military arena because that's an area where there are very sharp differences. And there's a competition at this stage uh, on building up numbers, certainly on the fleets of both the navies uh, of the United States and of China. There's a technology race as well associated with this. Uh, in fact, the U.S. assesses increasingly China's naval growth as being uh, a matter of concern, if not a matter of alarm. Uh, and the quality and the quantity of what we're actually seeing the Chinese deploy uh, is significant. Uh, earlier today, I spoke to Shashank Joshi. He is uh, the defense editor of The Economist, one of the finest defense editors anywhere in the world, somebody who monitors the situation with China and the United States from a military standpoint very closely. Uh, we had this discussion. It's something that affects us here in India as well. Uh, do listen in. Shashank, my first question the pace of China's warship construction, even 10 years back when it really started in right earnest, nobody thought that they'd be able to carry on with this pace. What does this mean for major powers across the world, for example, the United States? It means that the primacy that they had at sea for, for decades is no longer there. You know, look, Vishnu, the Americans fought a Cold War with the Soviet Union for many decades. But over that entire time, the Soviet Union was a continental land power. It projected force into Europe. It could project force into Afghanistan and the Persian Gulf region. But it was not a maritime power. And that was, in many ways, one of its Achilles heels. Um, uh, you know, this allowed the United States and its allies to control sea lines of communication, trade routes, energy supplies, all manner of vital maritime conduits. That is no longer the case. Um, if you look at the most recent annual reports by the Pentagon on Chinese military power, you'll see that they describe the People's Liberation Army as basically outpacing the Americans in three different areas, at least. One of them is conventional missiles um, of the kind that we know about, the, the uh, intermediate range ballistic and cruise missiles that can uh, reach as far as American bases in Guam, in Japan, in Okinawa and places like that. The other is air defenses capable of, of um, uh, contesting the skies of the kind that we have seen operate so effectively, uh, effectively neutralizing the Russian air force in Ukraine. And the last area which you have raised is shipbuilding. And the result of this is that the Chinese Navy is now the largest in the world. It is increasingly practicing um, operating carrier strike groups capable of conducting uh, air airborne operations at sea. And we've seen this with the Liaoning and other carriers. And what this means for India and other countries in the Indian Ocean is that we are increasingly seeing the People's Liberation Army Navy pressing into the Indian Ocean, increasingly active, exercising those naval muscles. It isn't completely a finished product yet. It still has to practice these deployments. It still has to build up a network of bases. It's still very weak in the area of submarines, uh, for example, but it is making extremely rapid progress. I think there are other areas where they've made, uh, again, very rapid progress. There was always a sense of complacency here in India and other, perhaps other parts of the world as well that, oh, you know, it's going to take them decades to get to a yeah. certain level of operation, uh, operational capability with regard to, to their Navy. But if you look at the, uh, the, the duration of their deployments out in the Indian Ocean, the fact that they've got their first overseas base already established, and the fact that they are now manufacturing 
uh, cruisers, they call them destroyers, the Type 55, or destroyers of the Type 52 Delta. These are extremely advanced designs by any, de by, by any definition, equipped with oh, advanced, uh, state-of-the-art anti-shipping missiles. You know, you're dealing with a top-end Navy. I, I would totally agree. Um, now, I, I would agree in the hardware side. So if you look at the destroyers you mentioned, the Renhai class destroyers, I remember two years ago talking to British um, defense intelligence officials, asking them about how they assessed some of these problems. And I, I remember, I, I haven't got it on my desk here, but I was, I was shown a leaflet looking at future threats. And on, on, on a leaflet for UK defense intelligence, it did not show a Russian aircraft. It did not show an Iranian missile. It showed a Chinese uh, stealth aircraft that, yes, may have been informed by stolen technology from the Americans, may not have been entirely original in every element, but nevertheless reflects a high degree of achievement. And on the destroyers, they told me the Renhai class destroyer in their assessment was the um, was the, the one of one, if not the most sophisticated destroyers in that of that class in that kind anywhere in the world. And I have been on, you know, the workhorses of the U.S. Navy, the the Arleigh Burke class destroyers in the Black Sea and other places. And these are these are formidable ships. They're, they're you know, the stalwart ships are equipped with very good munitions, but they're old. They are very, very old. You know, you can you kind of go down in the engine room and it looks like a, a sort of steampunk novel with these valves and analog dials and everything like that. And I think we're looking at a Chinese Navy that is much further ahead in the modernization cycle than other countries. But and I will say this. Um, you know, the effectiveness of a Navy isn't just about the quality of the kit and the newness of the kit. It's about the, the software as well, the human element, the doctrine, the experience, the procedures. And what I will say is when you speak to experts who look at the Chinese Navy's carrier operations, for example, beginning in the South China Sea in the Pacific, they're saying, keep a close eye on the munitions that the planes are carrying. Are they, are they taking off these carriers with a full load of munitions? Or are they taking off with a sort of practice load? Are they uh, practicing a rapid, intense cycle of takeoff and landing in the way that a U.S. carrier group would be capable of doing, or, or, or an Italian or a French or, or an Indian one? Or are they actually um, still building up to that? So I think in that, in that kind of uh, human element, there's still quite a way to go with the PLA Navy. Just with, uh, with regard to, to aircraft carrier operations, they've got three in, 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 in triple quick time. The first two operate of a ski jump, right? They've got a ski jump, which means that the aircraft which they operate uh, because of the design, very similar to what India actually operates in terms of yeah. the design, um, they're bound to carry lower quantities of munitions, missiles on board, bombs, etc., etc. But the third one, the Fujian, actually has an electromagnetic catapult system. So that's where they appear at least on paper, to have caught up with America. So they can actually deploy fighter aircraft with a full warload. Now, given their pace of warship construction, um, the area where the United States has been dominant, aircraft carriers, going forward over, let's say, a period of 15 to 20 years, that can actually be threatened. And that is the heart of the U.S. Navy. Yes, I, I, I share that view, but I'd say two things. Uh, first of all, you know, look at the enormous challenges, the technical challenges that the U.S. Navy has had with electromagnetic launch yeah. systems, moving from steam to electromagnetic launch. Donald Trump, when he was president, famously 
um, uh, you know, criticized electromagnetic launch. He said, you know, I like steam. I like the old stuff. It's reliable. It works well. He would he would be completely baffled by this stuff. But actually, electromagnetic launch is it's very potent. It's very powerful. It's very capable. But it is technically challenging. And we don't yet have a a complete assessment of whether the PLA has mastered this. So, you know, let's watch closely. I think one of the mistakes we made, certainly one of the mistakes, mistakes I made with the Russian military uh, back, uh, you know, this time last year was perhaps failing to understand that some of the things that we saw on training, on exercises that were for show, were not things they could actually do. So we had mm. to kind of really ask the question, um, do we, are, we, are we fully accepting they have the expertise and all of the experience for this? And the second thing I would note is, yes, although carrier operations are an important part of naval power and they will allow China to project its power, protect task forces into the Indian Ocean, um, we should also remember the U.S. Navy... Uh, is not planning on sailing its carriers right into vulnerable places in the Strait of Taiwan or right into the middle of the South China Sea in the middle of a war over Taiwan. That isn't its current doctrine, its way of thinking. It is thinking about dispersing forces, putting Marines on small islands, using anti-ship missiles. And so we have to remember here, China can find that the tables are turned on its own navy and that allied countries, the U.S., um, its allies, and, and perhaps to, to a degree also India, to, to the degree that it is willing to integrate into these kind of war fighting concepts in the Pacific one day, um, will also be able to use some of these anti-access, anti, uh, area denial, uh, anti-ship uh, methods and techniques and weapons against this hugely growing Chinese navy of big hulls. And that's going to pose quite a few problems for the Chinese too. They've made progress again, whether it's stolen designs or not, uh, that we can debate for the rest of our lives. But stealth aircraft, J-20, uh, the incoming JF-35, they've got, a, they've got an intercontinental range uh, stealth bomber as well, which has just recently been unveiled. Again, we don't know how far down the road they are in terms of technology, but in terms of what we can see, the quality of construction is exemplary. Um, and, you know, one can only assume that uh, a lot of the kit on board is again world class. So that's an area where they've picked up big time. Well, for me, the jury's a little bit more out on that. Look, first of all, they have the quantity. And in air power, we know that's, 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 that can be enough. That can be a huge factor in this sometimes, right? If you look at just three main designs of multi-role fighter ground combat attack aircraft, if we look at the J-10C, the J-16, the, the flanker, and the, the low observable, the stealth J-20, of those three types... The PLAF, the People's Liberation Army Air Force, has at least 600 aircraft in 19 frontline combat brigades. And that is expanding. Within the last three years, we can see from the open source information alone that the rate of production of, of the J-16 and the J-20 has probably doubled. And of the J-20, which is the stealth variant, yeah. we're seeing that there are about 150 aircraft in the PLA's infantry right now. And the IISS think tank assesses yes. that at the current rate, by the end of this year, um, that inventory is going to have overtaken the U.S. inventory of the F-22 uh, Raptor, which is, of course, the U.S.'s most advanced air-to-air yeah. uh, -air superiority aircraft. So, um, you know, I, I can't speak to the, the quality of these yeah. because I think we're still, we still don't have a good enough handle on the details of this to assess 
and the Chinese have kept a lot of this hidden away. Only, you know, only recently have we been able to see a, a lot more detail of these issues. Uh, but, but the quantity is there. And I think that poses a huge challenge for the U.S. In, in a Taiwan situation. And it poses a huge, huge challenge for India in any contingency involving uh, uh, Ladakh or Arunachal Pradesh, uh, even once you factor in the Indian acquisition of the S-400 and the growing architecture of Indian air defense. A final question, and, you know, no, no conversation on China and, uh, you know, its military prowess would be complete without looking at what they're doing with regard to drones and uh, also recently, of course, balloons and the fact that they managed to fly one across the Pacific, loiter over the United States. So that's one part of the story. But what they're doing with drones yeah. is, is formidable. You know, stealth drones, a wide variety of drones, the world's largest manufacturer of drones, attack drones, surveillance drones, widely exported at this stage. Uh, that's another huge area. It is. You know, look, um, for, for many years, the Americans were not willing to sell the Reaper and the Predator to ally, even allied governments. You know, uh, you know, there were talks with India for a long time, um, but, you know, they sold them to the, I think, the Italians. They were sold to the British. This was this was very, very tightly held. What did the Chinese do? They pumped the Middle East full of wing loons, the wing yeah. loon drones. And we saw these in use in Libya. We saw these in use from the Emiratis. I think they found their way into the hands of the Ethiopians in the Tigray conflict. Um, you know, so, so this is a, a very opportunistic uh, Chinese approach that I think has been extremely effective and, and, and impressive. You know, hats off to the Chinese for doing very well on this. Uh, again, these are not necessarily as exquisite and technologically sophisticated as, say, uh, the cutting-edge American drones. But we've seen, again, more recently on parades, um, uh, uh, stealth drones that would be, for example, capable of performing reconnaissance for a Chinese anti-ship missile. So, you know, you could send the drones to scout ahead. You look for your Indian aircraft carrier or your American aircraft carrier. The drone sends the information back via satellite and that cues up the Chinese missile. Yeah. Now, you know, I think the, the biggest problem we have with China isn't necessarily that each of these weapons is the best in the world. Um, it is that the Chinese have the defense budget and the manufacturing capacity to outproduce um every other country com uh, uh, on their own. And I think what this says, Vishnu, is, is a lesson we're going to see next week highlighted in the big announcement around AUKUS, which is that if allies are going to compete with China, I think the only way they can do it is to combine for economies of scale, whether that's AUKUS, whether that is, you know, um, um, uh, the, the Europeans producing air defenses on their own or producing shells, whether that's the U.S. Uh, and India collaborating on other kinds of defense technology. Um, Like-minded countries coming together, producing these things at scale is going to be the only way they can keep up with a country with the size of defense budget and the willingness to allocate that money as the PLA and the PRC. All right, Shashank, wonderful speaking to you. Thanks very much uh, indeed uh, for sharing your thoughts and your concerns and views, rather, on what China is doing right now. It represents a formidable military challenge to countries uh, around the world. What are the true intentions? Perhaps that needs to be uh, looked at very closely indeed. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you.